This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, I'm Amanda from Trifecta Fitness. We're proud to be Clarksville's new Get Fit headquarters. Trifecta Fitness is a state-of-the-art spin and strength training studio. Our spin studio is truly one of a kind in this area, complete with 20 state-of-the-art live fitness bikes and an incredible sound system. Our strength training is done in small groups of six or fewer, and all of our strength and spin classes are scalable for every level of experience. Come see us in the heart of Clarksville, just behind MAPCO at the corner of Old Trenton Road and Wilma Rudolph Boulevard. Call us for more info at 931-542. 6265 or download our Trifecta Fitness app for a full list of upcoming classes. Speaking of which, our next guest works with professionals and business leaders who want to increase their personal effectiveness with joy and grace. His neuroscience-based mind muscles model gives his clients the opportunity to reach their goals with online training, simulations, interactive exercises, group support, and real-time decision processes. So without further ado, let's welcome to the Misfit Nation, Richard Friesen. Welcome, hey, Richard. Rich, what a great name. You know, this is the first time I've been interviewed by somebody with the name Rich. What could possibly go wrong? 
it's a happy, uh, I guess, a happy accident that we both crashed into each other here. Uh, yes. Rich, Rich show tonight, so this would be great. So if you don't mind, Rich, I gave a little blurb about you there. Mm -hmm. If you want to go back as far as you want to and uh, give us a show, uh, I guess, a little story of how we got to where we are now. Yeah, well, I think the fewer, uh, the shorter the introductions, the better. Because what this really is about is about your listeners having come from both the financial markets uh, as a therapist uh, with a degree in clinical psychology, uh, neuro-linguistic programming, and gone through my the own struggles in my own life around my, my worthiness, my abilities, my skills, that what I've done is I've, I've taken the struggles that I feel and the struggles from my clients and saying, is there a way that we can look at ourselves in the world that makes our experience better and, and can contribute to those around us, to our family and our community? Awesome. And you also, you've been, you worked in the market, you worked in uh, as a coach, as a, a mental, uh, I guess, a mindfulness coach. And then uh, you also wrote a book. Uh, what's your book about? A Private Conversation with Money. And it's about a journalist, Joe, who has just absorbed a lot of the cultural memes around money, wealth, meaning. Uh, and as a result, he has a lot of internal struggles. If we look at a wider range of people, the sports, car, sports stars who've made tens of millions of dollars and don't have enough money to retire, lottery winners, many of it, who return to their original net worth, we look at people who struggle, who have no models for how to handle money, how to handle wealth, and we put it all together and we come up with, we're, we are out of sync with money. We're out of rapport with money. So the book is an invitation to step into a whole new world of rapport with money, meaning, and success. And we do it through the story of Joe and all his struggles and how he comes to delivering more value to his community. Nice, nice. And uh, like I told you in the pre-show, a lot of our listeners are veterans or first mm -hmm. responders, and there's a wide uh, gambit of age groups there, plus my three loyal listeners in Nepal. Thanks, guys. Uh, <laughs> a lot of them uh, did not plan for the future as they were growing through the military mm -hmm. or as first responders. How can they recoup that as they start to retire? Most, a lot of them retire at the age of 40 from the military and then start a new life or, or start the next chapter of their lives. Is it too late then to have that better relationship with money? Or is, is it good to get that relationship going at any time and build that before? <laughs> of course, it's not too late. And we all start with where we are right now. Uh, I have a phrase that in the past, we had no choice. There's no blame, no, no shame. However, we are agents for the future. We have full choice on how we want to live our lives. And what this does is it relieves us from all the mistakes, you know, the lack of training we had, the, the parental issues, the maybe some traumas for those veterans who were actually saw battle. There, there may be some trauma there that is just tightening down on them and, and, and keeping them from fully expressing their lives. So we, there's no blame in the past. So now what do we want to do? And the book works through a whole bunch of issues. Most of it has, and we also have exercises. For example, we have what's called the three chair exercise. And in this, if a client's in the room with me, 
I have them bring in what represents money to them. So I've had people bring in gold, uh, piles of $100 bills, brokerage statements. Some of them bring in some uh, jewelry or diamonds. And we put that in a chair and say, that is money. Then I put them in another chair facing money. And a third chair we put in there for their highest self, for wisdom, for the observer. And then I say, hmm, what would you like to say to money? And they go, what? That's just a chair. I go, okay, so if that were money, what would you want to say? And they'll him and haw around, but finally they'll come and say, you leave me. You come so close and then I grab you and then you're gone again. Or other people may say, oh, I love you, but there's just so little of you. So everybody will have a voice. And sometimes this voice gets really emotional, anger, tears, and sobs. And then I have them sit in the chair of money. Money, what do you think of Joe or Sam or Pete or Sally or whatever? Oh, man. Boy, he is so grabby, I don't want to even get close to him. He doesn't really respect me. He thinks that wealthy people are evil. He thinks that money is evil. And yet he wants me at the same time. You know, so I say, well, how how far back would you like to be? So I want to move my chair back six feet. So he moves his chair back six feet. So then we go to the wise observer and we put the person in that chair and say, okay, you've seen the conversation between money and, and Sam. What do you notice? And he gives us what he notices. Then I have him go sit back in the chair and be himself. Now, what would you like to say to money? And that voice is often so different that we can now start to build rapport with all those conflicting voices inside of them. Wow. That's a great technique. I like that. Uh, I'm sure that resonates with uh, different people, different ways, especially oh, yeah. like when you give them different things they can bring in, they bring in the thing that most re represents money to them. So I think that helps a lot more that way as well. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's an amazing thing as humans, you know, we're creatures of habit and, Oh, yeah. How hard is it to change someone's habit after they do something over and over and over again? Well, you just bring up, you know, you ask the hardest questions, <laughs> but I try. You, you, <laughs> you ask the right hard questions. So we have a bunch of behaviors and they can be represented by neurological connections. You know, like when you drive a car down a freeway, you can have a conversation and you don't have to worry about steering or, or, everything, you know, it, it just happens automatically because you have automated neural connections. So we have different behaviors that are like this, that are just fast, you know, I'm not going to be angry at my wife again, you know, I'm not going to get triggered. I'm not going to yell at her. Triggered, bang, you know, it, we just we do what the old pattern is. So it's a, it's a really question of not of blame or shame, but of repatterning and creating new neural circuits. And the way we do this is we start with what we call the golden keys, and that's awareness. So sometimes in the first few sessions with the clients, I'll just say, what are you aware of? Nothing. Okay, let's take a trip from your nose to your toes. You know, what do you feel in your face? Not much. I notice your lips are a little tight. Can you tighten them more? What do you notice there? Hmm. Yeah, my lips are tight. Hmm. If your lips were to say something, what would they say? So we just awareness. We give voices to parts of ourselves. We go down through the body. I'm shallow breathing, whatever it is. Then we look at our emotions. What are you feeling right now? What are you aware of? 
uh, I feel resentful. I feel angry. Um, you know, my buddy let me down. Uh, my wife had an affair. Whatever it is, let's see what's going on. And then the quality of our thoughts. And we do the same thing. Now, once we establish awareness, the next step is, is more challenging is acceptance. Can we just accept all those parts of you that in the past have been there to protect you? They have a positive intent. We get to acceptance. And then we can start with that awareness, develop agency. How do you want to experience the world? In other words, the old way of experiencing the world is through maybe uh, an identity issue, lack of self-esteem. It could be, you know, uh, beliefs about the world and ourselves. It could be behaviors. So we have these old patterns that you brought up that are, you know, like habits, so hard to break. So that's the past. And now with agency, how would we like to experience the world? And then we practice experiencing the world in very different ways. So, you know, that's one of the processes we use. Oh, okay. That's awesome. Man. And you, you bring that up and then I'm, I was thinking right away, upbringing is a big thing for a lot of people as well. Mm -hmm. so your uh, cultures, norms, and beliefs as you grow up, your parents, lay yep. that, your guardians lay out that, that groundwork for you. Is there a way to, I know as we grow, we also add to those. We don't, we try not to take away from those unless they're negative cultures, beliefs, and norms, of course. How can we change the, the way we were brought up if the thinking as we were growing up was to fear money instead of embrace money and bring it to the future a better way? Oh, there's, depending on the person, there's a number of ways. One is, let's go to what the very deepest level is, is our identity. I'll have people go to the hospital where they were born in their imaginations, imagine 10 babies in cradles, and I'll ask the question, you're one of these babies, which number, one through 10, and they'll say four. Which of these babies is not worthwhile and doesn't deserve to take their place on the earth as an honored human being. And they'll say none of them. What about number four? And sometimes the tears come up and there's this inner feeling that somehow they have sinned. They've come short of the glory of God. They're not worthwhile as a person. But when we put them in that state of imagining that pure, innocent, beautiful baby, we can reframe that negativity that maybe came from the family in a way that they can allow. And then we, we go through a lot of growing up processes from that innocent, wonderful baby and maintaining that wonderfulness in their life so that they can start to repattern and reframe uh, their beliefs about themselves. Okay, that, that makes a lot of sense there. And it's very easy to do it that way too in calming. I can just see sitting in the room with you. You just calm someone down if they were nervous. You should have mm -hmm. a calming voice, almost almost like a radio voice. So it, it helps out a lot when uh, when you're talking to someone and not talking down to them. You're talking to them as a human, and they kind of resonate a lot more with them that way. Well, what you just said, I think you've just uncovered a gem. Talking to them like a person. What if everybody woke up in the world, woke up tomorrow, looked at their spouse, their kids, their employer, their employees, their customers, and respected them like a person, respected their dignity and their integrity as a human being. What if we all did that tomorrow? Do you know what would happen? 
be a lot of craziness going on. People Holy mackerel. <laughs> they might want to call the doctor for some people, see if they're all right. Yeah. <laughs> something just happened. I think yeah, you hit the nail on the head there. That's something our world has lost. Uh, over time, we lost it, I think, uh, with the digital divide. Uh, once we connected the world via the interwebs, mm -hmm. we kind of lost the interpersonal communication where you can sit and talk and have a cup of coffee with someone and, and actually just talk to each other as friends. Even if you never met them before, you can mm -hmm. sit down and talk to them like a human being, man to man, woman to woman, man to woman, whatever, and just have a great conversation. And I think we kind of lost a little bit of that over the last 20 years or so. Yeah. In fact, that's been a concern of mine. You know, what you're bringing up is also kind of niggling on the back of my head. So I even started a group, uh, Healing the Political Divide. So we have people on Zoom coming in from all different places. And it turns out we really love and respect each other and our political issues and our economic issues, we've managed to put out there and let them talk to each other. But with the realization that those are our emotional issues, but we can still connect human to human. Exactly. Uh, my former job, when I first got out of the military, I worked at a position in my little part of the office was mostly veterans and then was a mix outside of the office. We worked for a veteran nonprofit and they give you a battle buddy when you get there. And my battle buddy was the polar opposite of me as far as our belief systems, our political mm -hmm. dreams. So, but you would never know that if you've seen us two talking, mm -hmm. we can go sit down, laugh and joke and talk, have a cup of coffee, go down to uh, downtown St. Louis, have some uh, Panera bread, or I guess uh, they call it St. Louis bread out there or whatever. And uh, just relax and talk to each other and just listen to each other. Cause at the end of the day, we all want the same thing. We all want to Boy. want people being happy. And that's you the just uncover one gem after another. <laughs> and one of them is at our core, we want the same thing. We want to be respected. We want to respect others. We want to be connected. We want to be in a healthy community. We want to feel safe. We want to be able to express ourselves and our differences. Oh my gosh, we're all so different. You know, genders and beliefs about ourselves and what if we lived in respect and live and let live? Uh, but the challenge there is most of us have grown up with judgmental people around us or lacking self-respect. And so we have absorbed that way of being. And what you pointed out earlier was important. It's become a habit. So how do we break that habit? And that habit, uh, it, I believe, is broken by taking small steps that feel better in the moment, honor our values, and get us to our goals. So if we can create one little neural connection, just a little one, teeny one, <laughs> and I then I say, hmm, how does that feel? And they go, oh, hmm, that feels better. Great. Two of them feel, oh, that feels even better. That feels better. Well, then I know we're on the road. Our goal is to feel better by allowing ourselves to be more human, more compassionate. In my book, what I do is reframe money from, uh, you know, money, money is just associated with uh, wealthy assholes about, it's associated with money is evil. If you brought up religiously, some parents were so tight with money that it, it, it just felt like it was something that we would never have, or we're lower class. We're not, you know, we, we're, you, you're, you're never gonna make it. So you have all those conflicting things. And right now we have a huge cultural divide around money and wealth. Huge, you know, wealth is good, wealth is bad. 
We need, uh, you know, social justice movement. So all these conflicting things. So how do we create rapport, not only with other humans, but with our relationship with money? So uh, I have a, a concept called certificates of appreciation. So Rich, when I do a service for you, and you say, wow, that's valuable, you give me certificates of appreciation. So I go, wow, Rich just gave me certificates of appreciation. Ooh, I want more of those. I do a service for somebody else. I deliver value. They give me more certificates of appreciation. Now, the next thing I'm going to say is going to make a lot of people's heads explode. So excuse me if there's blood all over the floor. (laughs) Now, in the commercial world, and then there's the non-commercial world. If you're doing things for your family, you love your kids, you take care of them, uh, the Martin Luther Kings of the world, the people who have contributed to a better world, non that's non-financial. But in the financial world, the more certificates of appreciation you collect, the more value you have delivered to the world. Wait a minute. Wealthy people, they, they make money off the backs of the poor. They, uh, they cheat. They... Um, have, uh, you know, the crony capitalists, the, all this. Yes, there's evil. Uh, man is fallible. Yes, all that happens. But what we can control is delivering value to others, honestly, openly, and receive certificates of appreciation that we can feel honored to receive. Definitely. Uh, certificates of appreciation is something that during our time in a in Afghanistan and Iraq, we had local nationals who interpreted for us. And in Afghanistan especially, they were usually younger guys. Well, they ranged from, we had some that were 16 years old up mm-hmm. to their 30s. But they never asked for anything for what they were doing for us. I mean, they were really, the the, pin, the pinnacle of us making it home was their, with their interpretation of what was going on in the battlefield and mm-hmm. the people around us. And the only thing they ever wanted in return was a certificate of appreciation something they can put in their, their love me book. And, and that way, so then like last year when they were trying to come out and get out of there before everything fell, that's the way they were getting out was those certificates of achievement of appreciation. The thank yous that we gave them was how they were being able to say, hey, yeah, this was, this was a real person. He really did this job. Let's try to get them out of here. Wow. That touched me deeply. Thank you. You're welcome. You just put your finger on another thing is, is that we want to be recognized, we want to be valued, we want to be appreciated. And so some of us have a hole in our heart. I know that I did growing up, and then we try to fill it with other things. For some people, it's drugs. For some people, it's just acquiring money as a way of filling that emptiness. You know, the mansions, the trophy spouse, the big car. But that isn't ever going to do it. But to feel that appreciation, like you just pointed out, that touched me deeply. Thank you. No problem. And uh, we thought it was, I mean, we thought that was the least we can do. It was, and we didn't really think we were doing much by giving it to them. We tried to make sure we appreciated them daily, but that's all they wanted was a little piece of paper and understanding what that little piece of paper did to free so many of them last year mm-hmm. it really resonated with a lot of us in the end. Well done, sir. Thank you. And uh, I thank my brothers and sisters who did the same thing across the, the pond for uh, forever. We were over there and, mm-hmm. and, should, and thanks. Thank you to all them and all our brothers 
that made it out and are in the states now uh, earning a living with us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's a powerful story. Yeah, it's, it's one that I'll stay up here as long as I can remember things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we talked about a uh, wealth, generational wealth, and. Do you ever see people who are embarrassed to be wealthy? Oh, yeah. I'll have clients come to me, and especially in the financial markets, and they'll say, well, I'm going to make it really big. I have a plan. And uh, when I make it big, I'm going to be a philanthropist and give it away. So that for me is a red flag, not philanthropy in itself, but the fact that they need to give it away. In other words, if you give me a certificate of appreciation, that's it. I'm done. Now, if I get wealthy and get enough, I'll say, hmm, how can I add value to the rest of the world? And that's what I'm doing right now in the sense that, you know, writing the books, doing podcasts, doing interviews with you is how can I invite people to have more rapport with money, meaning, and success? So for me, that's, you know, for example, that's not a, a, a big money-making deal, but it fills my my soul because I am giving value or inviting other people uh, to value. So if we have a hole in our heart and we're trying to fill it with money, then we feel guilty. But if we fully appreciate that we're delivering value and getting certificates of appreciation, no guilt needed. Definitely. That's a, that's an outstanding way of looking at that right there. Uh, I was reading on your, your pod match uh, profile before, one of the questions you have is a suggested question. It was it resonated in my mind. My, my job in the military was a uh, chemical, uh, biological, nuclear weapons, and uh, helping the soldiers be protected from them for 22 years. And why is money the canary in the mine shaft? Was on there, so I had to ask that question. Why is money the canary in the mine shaft? If you and I have an agreement. I can deliver value to you. You can deliver value to me. We give each other certificates of appreciation. And this is a voluntary uh, deal. And we both believe that we have gotten more value than we've delivered. Now, there's mistakes. Things don't work out. Yeah, there's all that. But on the whole, over the larger sample size, it's great. It's voluntary. Now, let's assume for a moment that we live in a world where money is discounted as uh, as evil, that the wealthy people have it, uh, we should uh, redistribute money. Well, what that means is that it's no longer a certificate of appreciation, but it comes with the force of a gun eventually, that uh, money is now uh, controlled by some sort of greater good, and as a result, when that happens, that's the canary in the minefield. When money ceases to be part of a voluntary transaction, then it comes with associated power and compulsion. Oh, very well said there. So that, that makes a lot of sense to me there. And I hope the audience resonates with that one as well. If, uh, if there's strings attached to something, that means it's, it's not worth the time. Go with things that or just give and give. You give me something, I give you that certificate of appreciation, and things work out for both of us that way. Don't expect something back every time you do something. Well, thank you. Thank you. And uh, my final question is, as we grow in life and we grow with our, we, we watch our numbers roll up with our money, 
How did what mistakes do people do to lose that wealth that they have grown or accumulated over time? <laughs> Boy, another great question. So let, let's look at uh, because uh, my traders and my professional uh, money managers, we get instant feedback on what they're doing because it, you know, the life and career and stuff, it's more complicated. So the typical uh, trader or fund manager that comes to me will see progress, uh, profits, 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 profits. And then in a very short period of time, kaboom, we give it all back. And what happens at that peak? And at that peak is the survival mechanism that comes up that says, no, 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 we don't know how to survive being wealthy. So I've never had a client come to me and say, Rich, you know, I really don't know how to be wealthy. And I'm afraid that my fear of wealth on a subconscious level is going to screw it up and sabotage me. <laughs> Nobody's ever said that. <laughs> but about 70% of my clients, when they come to me and we start to approach that, there's a part of them that says, oh, the taxes, all oh, my relatives are going to come for me for money. Um, the, you know, I've got obligations. I could make a really big mistake that could hurt everybody because I'm so wealthy. I could invest it wrong. Then I have to worry about losing it. Oh my God. So we get all these subconscious voices. So what we do is we listen to them all because that's really important to listen to all those survival mechanisms, those voices. We appreciate them, what they want to do. And then we have them find a way that they can be comfortable in wealth. And until we do that, they're going to sabotage us. So, you know, for example, if your father said to you, you're, um, you know, we're lower middle class, we'll never be any more, you know, the system is against us. And let's say you rise above that system. You're in a foreign world. So what we do is we picture it, we envision it, we play it out, we look how we're going to deliver value, we see what's going to happen, and then we always listen for voices that might want to sabotage it. Because until we can visualize it and taste it and touch it and it be okay, well, then we're it's kind of like we're shooting for something we don't even know what it is. And as we approach it, we don't know what it is. So I work with people to really define what it, their life of wealth is like and make sure that it not only feels good and honors their values, but it takes care of the family, of the values that they most cherish. Awesome. Rich, we talked about a lot of things concerning money here tonight, and uh, it's been great. I learned a lot. I'm sure the audience will get a lot out of this. And how does someone get in contact with you to just chat about money or just to chat with you, maybe get you on their show? Sure. Uh, if they go to conversations.money slash misfit, M-I-S-F-I-T, there's a page there where they can get the free online course and that, that goes with the book. Uh, you can always email me, rich at mindmuscles.com, and I'm available there and we'll, uh, we'll take care of you. And if uh, you want to have a conversation, I'm always happy to have a conversation, especially with veterans, to see how we can serve you and how we can invite you to a mindset that gets you to where you want to go and honors your values. Awesome. Thank you, Rich. Thanks again for taking some of your time to hang out with us here on the Misfit Nation and sharing all this, these tips and tricks with the Misfit Nation tonight. My pleasure. You asked the hard questions, but you asked the right hard questions. Thank you. I appreciate you. Okay. Take care.
Thanks for checking us out and being a part of the Misfit Nation. Don't forget to visit our website at themisfitnation.com. It's themisfitnation.com to catch up on all of our episodes and also to get some of that great Misfit Nation gear. As always, be humble, stay hungry, and keep hustling because we are...